This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to River Cafe Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. I remember uh, vividly going to the Elysee Palace, a fantastic meal. I've had many such meals, uh, especially when I was vice president. Formal banquets uh, in China and the Great Hall of the People. Uh, I don't think I've had an Italian state dinner. I wish I had. (laughs) (laughs) Vice President Gore, I'm really pleased that you're here and that you're in Tennessee and I'm in London. We're going to find a connection. Do you cook? I don't. I've been uh, pretty much a vegan for eight years now. I occasionally supplement it with some sustainable seafood. But yes, I don't consider myself a great cook, uh, Ruthie, by any stretch of the imagination. But during the pandemic, like a lot of people, Mm -hmm. I picked up a few (laughs) new skills Mm -hmm. just because uh, the chance to go out to restaurants was foreclosed. uh, And I'm surrounded by a lot of fresh food here at the farm. So, yeah, I, I've i done my best. Mm. And do your children cook? Yes, they do. They're all good cooks, uh, including my son, my youngest, who learned cooking from his grandmother, my mother. I remember when he was quite young, uh, she taught him how to make bread. She had her own bread recipe that was just absolutely mm. uh, delicious coming hot straight out of the oven and uh, he he loved it so much that he got her to teach him how to how to make it but uh, yes all the others do as well i would say they're good cooks are they are they vegan are they as well no they're not Mm. uh but uh they've cut back on red meat Mm. for sure you've chosen and we've chosen together a recipe for the soup papa pomodoro and i think you might have had it the last summer that you were in the river cafe So would you like to read the recipe for Papa Al Pomodoro? Four kilograms of ripe plum tomatoes, peeled, seeded, and chopped. Two garlic cloves sliced. 250 milliliters of olive oil. One stale sourdough loaf, crust removed. One large bunch of fresh basil leaves, torn. Heat three tablespoons of olive oil in a saucepan, add the garlic and fry gently. Then add the tomatoes. Simmer for 30 minutes, stirring occasionally until the sauce is thick. Season well, add 600 milliliters of water and bring to a boil. Add the bread, cut into chunks, and stir until the bread absorbs the liquid. Cool slightly, adding more water if necessary. Stir the basil into the soup with the remaining olive oil, and this dish is best served at room temperature. I know what I like about this recipe. I like the fact that it's only made in the summer when the when the tomatoes are ripe. It's only has four ingredients. 
and it has such a simple taste of Italy. It reminds me of Italy. And I was thinking about the way one of the other things about Italian food is that it is so regional. And if you're in Tuscany, you eat something that you probably would never have if you were in Naples. And in Venice, you might have a risotto that nobody in Puglia would have heard of. And I was thinking that about Southern food, because you grew up between Washington and Tennessee, between a hotel and a farm. That is exactly right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every single year of my life, I went back and forth. My father was in the U.S. House of Representatives Mm -hmm. uh, when I was born, had been for 10 years, and went to the Senate when I was uh, four years old. And so we went uh, back and forth. As soon as there was a spring vacation or a Christmas vacation, uh, off we would go driving back to Tennessee. Yeah, it was quite a contrast to uh, enjoy the food on the farm and fresh from the garden and then go back to uh, the old Fairfax Hotel in Washington, D.C., owned by a distant cousin. Ah. But uh, the food in Washington, D.C. was quite different from that in Tennessee. But in my mother's kitchen, it was pretty much the same in both locations. So did she cook in the hotel? I have have this image of being a kind of Eloise in the plaza and ordering room service. Would you have family meals in in the hotel? or Was it an apartment in the hotel? It was a small apartment, two bedrooms. My sister and I shared a bedroom, one bathroom in Mm. the entire apartment, Mm. a small kitchen. It did have a dining area and a living room. And that was it. It was a very small apartment. I don't really ever remember, Mm. believe it or not, I really don't ever remember getting room service. Mm. Because now we Um, we equate room service with hotels. What what did your mother cook? Who cooked in your house? My mother was was a good cook. She was a lawyer, one of the first women to graduate from Vanderbilt Law School back in the 1930s. My sister, when she got older, was a good cook as well. I remember one time when my mother and my sister both went on a tear competitively making soufflés. Ah. They just (laughs) became entranced with the whole notion. And for several weeks, uh, I would come home from school and there would be one or two different small soufflés there. Sounds good to me. Nice thing to come home to. And then going down to the farm. So was that... Well, talk about the farm, but also Southern cooking, because being an American like you, um, and you think about the identity, you know, there may be Midwestern food or there's Pacific Northwest food or upstate New York food. Would you say that going to Tennessee, there was a kind of real basis of food from the South? Fried chicken and Mm. uh, barbecue, fresh vegetables. We would pay attention to when... uh, the new corn was ready mm. when the vegetables were coming in. And we had a big garden uh, on the farm. Mm-hmm. My grandmother also had a garden, which she worked in uh, mm. pretty much constantly. And she canned food. Uh, huh? I, I don't remember ever eating any of her canned food, but she was uh, of the generation that really prepared for what might <laughs> come by canning lots of food in her cellar. And I would help her occasionally. But uh, Southern food uh, has changed over time, very influenced uh, by Black uh, American Mm. recipes. Mm. I don't know that the full credit for 
Southern cuisine uh, that should go to uh, Black mm -hmm. Americans has been widely understood, but it, it, it certainly is the case. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, of course, Nashville hot chicken is a distinctive brand that has uh, gone far and wide. Barbecue is uh, still identified uh, with mm -hmm. the South, and Tennessee takes a lot of pride in its barbecue. I, I had a barbecue team when I was in the U.S. Senate. Uh, every year they have a huge barbecue contest in Memphis, Tennessee. It's a wonderful what is the contest. Event. How many? How much you can, or how delicious it is? What do you think was the? Uh... How, well, uh, <laughs> the the judges uh, uh, primarily graded on taste, but uh, the presentation uh, yes. was yeah. a, a factor. But I was in the Senate, so the point of it was not necessarily to win the contest, but to meet all the people yeah. who came by. Well, that is food as, as a connection, you know, because on the farm, when you talk about the corn coming and eating it right away and the probably the potatoes, all the produce from the farm is one of the great luxuries of life. If you can eat a potato when it's just been dug up, if you can have... I grew up in upstate New York and we didn't have a farm, but we always knew that if we were having the corn for lunch, we'd buy it in the morning. And if we were having it for dinner, we'd have it, we'd buy it late afternoon from the farm store. Was that sense of, of the immediacy of farming and cooking, do you think that is something that has stayed with you? And, and now you have the farm, don't you? You changed it radically. Yes, the family farm is now my farm. And starting eight years ago, I converted it to a regenerative agriculture farm. We also have uh, livestock. I'm, I'm a vegan cattle farmer. There are not many of us. But rotational grazing, uh, where you manage uh, the livestock uh, in cooperation with the vegetables and fruits really is uh, an effective way to uh, make the soil healthier and make the farm um, uh, successful. You know, regenerative agriculture is a farmer-led movement, and it has also led to some new food chains. Mm -hmm. uh, we sell at farmer's markets, and we sell to local chefs in Nashville, and we have uh, several hundred uh, boxes each week that go through a program called Community Supported Agriculture, and we deliver the boxes. So we give 25% of them to the food bank in Nashville, particularly mm. during the uh, hard times mm. of the pandemic. It's a connection that I established when I was a boy. Every summer of my life, I worked on, on this farm and really developed quite a an attachment to it, and then moved back to Nashville and to the farm, which is outside of Nashville, when I made a transition into the business world, uh, involuntarily, <laughs> but I've really enjoyed it a great deal. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We opened the River Cafe after being closed for four months. It was very emotional. You know, people's mm. connect. You know, I would say, if you go down the list, you would say, of course, you know, education, schools. Then you'd say libraries. You would say healthcare. You would say there were so many priorities in the city. But what has been very moving to me is how important going to a restaurant is. It's not just the food. It's connecting with your friends. It's sitting at a table and being able to focus on your who you're with and the conversation. As a child, let's go back to the beginning. When you were growing up, was going to a restaurant a special occasion? Yes, it was a special occasion. But in in Carthage, Tennessee, the restaurants and cafes were really more basic, like diners, uh, more or less. Meet in three. Do you have that expression in London, a meet in three, Uh -uh. where you go through a cafeteria line? But it was always fun. We would go after church uh, to the City Cafe in in Carthage, Tennessee. Every week, that would be part of the tradition that you would go to a cafe after church. That's very nice. And what I look for now in a restaurant is a place with uh, wonderful food, first of all, Mm. (laughs) and and a wonderful ambiance and a good feeling and wonderful uh, friends that you make over the years, there is something special about it. And, you know, I have become close friends with quite a few of the chefs in Nashville. Nashville is becoming a a foodie city. And there are a lot of really great uh, chefs that have come. And uh, every year uh, here at the farm, I have a conference in the fall after the harvest Mm -hmm. called the Climate Underground Conference which uh, looks at the health of the soil, the economic health of the farmers and the chefs. And of course, during the pandemic, a lot of restaurants uh, struggled so much. But uh, the chefs that have become friends uh, over the years have really stepped up to provide food for populations in the community that really uh, fell on hard times Mm. during the year 2020. And in many communities, uh, it's a remarkable development that chefs became a a new variety of superhero. (laughs) There are many of them that filled the breach and uh, Mm. fed people that uh, were hungry and somehow made it all work. Yeah, I think that here as well, and certainly in my own restaurant with the young chefs, There's so many initiatives that we did with food banks. We have a hospital very near us, and we were cooking for the doctors in the hospital. And I think it really gave us all someone, you know, how how fortunate we are. The way we have a skill can be, you know, used for a social purpose. And I think that food as 
politics. You know, there's very little separation, is there, between what we're all trying to do and to make the world a better place. But I think it is interesting the way how a government and how society looks at feeding the people who need help. Absolutely. And there are so many of these so-called food deserts uh, in Mm. communities, uh, black and brown and indigenous communities, uh, where you might get a a kind of a a gas station uh, that has a a mart by it that sells, uh, you know, Slim Jim, some kind of jerky Mm. and snacks and food that's not uh, very healthy for you. And there has been a growing recognition in those communities and others that we would all benefit by developing a a healthier connection to the sources of our food Mm. uh, and paying more attention to the way it's uh, harvested and prepared and where schools are concerned. I have partnered with Alice Waters, who I'm sure you know, in Berkeley. And one of her programs is called the Edible Schoolyard which uh, is has gone beyond the pilot phase and is now being expanded into the University of California mm-hmm. system and in school districts uh, around the country to educate children in school about gardening and about mm-hmm. growing food and preparing food and uh, moving past this era when people thought food came from the grocery store mm-hmm. and didn't give any thought beyond that. And of course, uh, it's uh, so much better and healthier in every way when people take responsibility for eating enough fresh vegetables Mm. and fruits and cutting back on uh, meat consumption and really paying attention to the health of the meals they consume. Especially children. I remember not long ago walking down a street in Paris and there was outside in Cole Maternelle, which is a you know, it's a nursery school for for children, probably between three and five, and they had the menus for the week. And it was so moving to see that they mm. started with a celery remoulade and then they had a, a soup to poisson. I mean, really quite sophisticated and tasteful and thought out food and then a main course. And they even had for these little kids a, a cheese course, you know, and then a fruit. And I thought that was a glimpse. I took a photograph of the way society values and educates the children that are growing up. That says a mark of of their priorities. And I know that we have hope now for advancing that with Alice. And uh, we actually cook every year in in her benefit in New York. And again, you know, she's a force. She's a phenomenon. And we all just need to to work on, I think, you know, poverty, education, food. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! 
Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. What was food like in the White House? Because my knowledge of the White House was watching the West Wing and seeing Toby and all those guys go down to the canteen. And I was wondering, did you work over food? Would you entertain and talk about policies over food? Or was it quite a separate thing over a sandwich? I would say it was mostly separate, but it was not at all uncommon to work over meals. And uh, former President Clinton and I had a weekly luncheon, Mm. just the two of us, that was... uh, never missed on the schedule. Yeah. And the food, I have to say, was was excellent. Uh, you know, each president uh, or first uh, lady, we I guess the, uh, the proper uh, analog would be first gentleman when we have a woman yes. present. Traditionally, uh, first ladies have picked the White House chef. And during the years when I uh, worked as vice president in the White House, uh, the food was, food was excellent. And do you, do you think that going back to the farm and sustainability and your work on climate change and your books and your writing and your constant campaigning for trying to save our planet, would you tell me more about how you see the sustainability and what we can do I thought it was impressive that you said it's not, it doesn't have to be placed as a burden on the individual, which I think we all want that to share that responsibility, but that on policy, which is what we all look towards, is how can the policies that you've established on your farm, how does that policy reach a global network, a, a larger audience? Well, agriculture can be one of the biggest uh, solutions to the climate crisis. Mm. It cannot solve it by itself, for sure. And the main task is to stop burning all these fossil fuels. Mm. Uh, we are putting a, more than 160 million tons of man-made global warming pollution into the atmosphere every day. But it was not until 1950 that the majority of the greenhouse gases, the global warming pollution, came from something other than farming. And it was not until the 1970s, until the majority of the accumulated global warming pollution was no longer uh, from agriculture. What happened was, in part, the use of heavy plowing and a kind of a a reductionist model uh, for growing food that says, you know, just get rid of everything except what you want to grow and then use heavy chemical inputs and insecticides and herbicides and synthetic nitrogen fertilizer, which uh, was only invented in Germany 110, 115 years ago. In that stretch of time, we have seen a massive uh, outgassing of Mm. CO2 from the topsoils. Uh, forgive me for going on on this a moment. No, please. Um, people talk about uh, planting trees to pull CO2 back out of the atmosphere, and it's something we certainly need to do. But it, we also need to remember that if you look at all of the carbon in every tree in the world, mm-hmm. plus every plant in the world, 
there's three times that much carbon in the first 10 centimeters of topsoils around the world. And by sharply reducing the amount of plowing and using uh, natural fertilizing techniques and natural pest control techniques and using cover crops, always keep roots in the soil, don't let it lie loose, use perennials where you can, use rotational grazing, uh, Mm -hmm. agroforestry. These techniques can reverse the flow of global warming pollution out of the soil and actually put a large amount of CO2 back Mm -hmm. in the soil. So regenerative agriculture not only produces healthier foods and healthier communities, but it also contributes to a healthier planet by becoming a key part of our arsenal in combating the climate crisis. I get asked a lot, and we can answer every question. You know, we only fish from the British waters and nothing comes by plane to the River Cafe except for the mozzarella from Naples, you know, and so we're all working on this, but how do we make this a a movement of conscious change? Well, it's difficult and chefs uh, and restaurateurs can play a key role in providing information to uh, their customers, Mm -hmm. contributing uh, to their knowledge about where the food comes from and how it's prepared. For processed food, there is now a movement in some countries to require a labeling of Mm. foods. We already have it in so many places concerning the nutritional content of the food. But now some jurisdictions are requiring CO2 labeling, which is a big help for those of us who are interested Mm. in that. And you can't go on a detective hunt every time you uh, buy something off the shelf or order a dish in a restaurant. So if there is a, a new uh, standard by which uh, the purveyors of food uh, volunteer the provenance of the food yeah. and pay attention to it and then communicate ab- about it, then that spreads a more general knowledge of how important it is to connect to healthy food that's grown in healthy ways. Mm. Well, I would love to come and see your farm. And I think it's it's so interesting that you are doing this and and being a vegan, working on your farm, making your farm different and showing by example. And as with everything you do, I have so much respect for it. And I think that apart from being a farmer and a a politician, I know that you're a a really good eater. I do know that because I've seen (laughs) you. Well, you know, the way I uh, keep ordering more of your food may not be uh, a good uh, standard to go by because (laughs) this will sound like flattery, and I guess it is, but it's also true. Your food is delicious. It's also healthy. I think the Italian... You have witnessed me eating a lot of your food. I love it. But I think also that Italian food is very... Whenever we have, we have more and more vegans and and certainly vegetarians coming in. And actually the Italian diet is very healthy. It is, you know, when you walk into our restaurant, there's always vegetables on the bar, you know, whether they're artichokes in season or or spinach. And I think we all go to food for excitement and for communication, as you say, for memories of our childhood. And we also go to food, I think, very often for comfort. And so my last question to you is, really, if you had to define a certain food that you enjoy eating as a food that you go to for comfort, would you tell me what that would be? I would prefer one of your thin vegan 
pizzas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. Accompanied by, I don't know the name of the dish, but it's fried zucchini yeah, strings. Yeah, zucchini flowers, yeah. Zucchini flowers. That's what I always start with at River Cafe. And I was alerted that you might ask about uh, my favorite comfort food. And honestly, that is what immediately sprang to mind. Well, it's always there for you, comfort or not, whatever is needed. Thank you so much, Ken, and uh, much love to you. Thank you. Well, you have a standing invitation to come and visit Caney Ford okay. Farms here in Tennessee. Would love to host you uh, and look forward to seeing you in person at the River Cafe soon. Thank you so much and much love to you. Thank you. This holiday season, if you can't come to the River Cafe, the River Cafe will come to you. Our beautiful gift boxes are full of ingredients we cook with and design objects we have in our homes. River Cafe olive oil, Tuscan chocolates, Venetian glasses, a Florentine Christmas cake made in our pastry kitchen, and more. We ship them everywhere. To find out more or to place your order, visit shoptherivercafe.co. UK. River Cafe Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare.